So let's recap a little bit, and then we'll get into what we're going to get into tonight, and, uh, and just pray that God uses it and teaches us something through it. So week one, we talked about the whole idea of blood in the first place. What is it? Why is it significant? Why does this logo have a bunch of strings and pages of the Bible and all that stuff in it? Um, it's because blood is a theme that we see all through the Bible. It's kind of like this line that connects all these different things. And it ultimately is getting connected to what we're talking about tonight. But one of the things we talked about at the very beginning was blood equals life. Yeah, some of you remember. That's awesome. Blood equals life. It's what we need to live. Like, if you don't have blood in your body, you die. Like, you have to have it. It's a pretty big deal. Like, if you get a big cut and you start to lose a lot of blood, you start getting faint because you need blood in your body. So blood is a big deal. We also discovered in week one that we have a blood problem, uh, not a blood disease necessarily, um, but a a problem with our blood uh, because in your blood is kind of who you are, right? Your DNA is in your blood. Somebody could look at your blood and kind of tell a lot about you. Um, And so your blood identifies who you are. And who we are, are frail, fragile, messed up people. All of us. We've all sinned and we've all messed up. And so you get this from our blood. So we need some better blood than what we've got to fix the problem we have with sin. And so that's what we've talked about for the past several weeks. Is that blood equals life, but our blood doesn't equal life because it's messed up. And so we started talking about the idea of sacrifice and how sacrifice equals, I heard somebody say it, love. Sacrifice equals love. So blood equals life and sacrifice equals love are kind of themes we've had for the past several weeks. And we talked about Abraham and Isaac one week about how God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son and Abraham was willing to do that because he loved God that much. And God loved Abraham and Isaac that much to where he didn't actually make him do that. He provided a different sacrifice for that instance so that Isaac didn't have to die. And blood was still given because it, it leads to life, but the sacrifice Isaac was asked to make, he didn't have to make anymore. And so the next week we talked about this idea of um, the, the Passover, And the Passover is a huge deal in the nation of Israel and the Jewish people um, because it is the night that God rescued Israel from Egypt because they were slaves. And so they had to put blood on their doorframe, right? On their doorpost, the big door going into their house, they would put the blood all over that of a lamb that was one year old, that didn't have any defects. It was like a good lamb that's going to grow up to be this nice big sheep. Um, but they used that sacrifice, and then they would eat it together as a family. Um, and it was this sacrifice that let everybody in the nation know these people are God's people. They love God, and no one in those families died. And so they were able to get out of Egypt because of this sacrifice. They were protected because of this sacrifice. This blood led literally to life. No one died in their family because they had this blood on their door. And they still celebrate remembering that even today. Now, I, I think I heard a leader tell me that um, that week when we talked about that, somebody thought what I was saying was they still like kill lambs today for like in remembrance of this. 
like put it, putting it on the door frames and all that stuff. They don't, they don't do all of that anymore, um, just like that, because they're not in Egypt and they're not slaves anymore like that. Um, but they celebrate this meal, um, and they, they have this celebration every year, remembering what God did for them at the Passover. So that was week three. Week four was last week, and we talked about this sacrifice, this idea of sacrifice continued for hundreds of years. And how a high priest would have to go into this temple, this holiest of holy areas, and sacrifice a certain animal a certain way, have to wear certain clothes, in order to make the people of God clean from their sin. So this was like the thing they had to do to get clean. It's kind of like, if we were going to get clean today, we know what we have to do. We have to get in the shower or in a tub. We have to have soap, right? And we need some water. And at the end of the day, we kind of wash up, and then we towel off, and we're clean, right? So in order to get clean, that's our process right now. Their process to get clean from sin was this whole sacrificing process, this whole sacrificing system that God put in place. And so it would last for a while. They would be clean from sin for a while. They would be good with God for a while, but then they would keep sinning. They would keep messing up. And so they need more sacrifices more blood had to be given to lead for them to have life and to continually come back to God and say they're sorry and repent and continually be cleaned by God over and over and over again. And God will continually do it because he loved them and continues to love them and wants them to know him. And so hundreds of years this goes on, right? And so all of this is leading us to where we're going to get to tonight. After hundreds of years of sacrificing animals and food and doing these things to not only tell God that we love him, but God is reinforcing the fact that he loves us and he's pursuing us by cleaning us, cleansing us of sin. But there's also this thing that the the nation of Israel knows about. And it's this thing called a Messiah, a Savior. They're looking forward to a Savior, a Messiah coming because they've heard about him for hundreds and hundreds of years. There's prophets that would tell them about this this Savior that's coming that's going to rescue them so they don't have to keep dealing with slavery. They don't have to keep dealing with sin. They don't have to keep making all these sacrifices. Somebody is going to rescue them from all of that and make their their relationship with God right again and going to restore them again because they're God's people, right? And so they hear that there's this Messiah coming. He's going to fix everything. They're looking for him. They're waiting for him so that this cycle of sacrificing sin, sacrifice, sin, sacrifice, sin, sacrifice can finally end. This whole them going into slavery and coming out of slavery, going into slavery and coming out of slavery can end. And God can rescue them. So they're waiting on this person, this Savior. And he's described multiple times through the Old Testament. There's a lot of prophecies about him. And if you don't know what a prophecy is, it's something that's said in the Old Testament about something that's going to happen later. And it's like, this is going to happen. This is who the Messiah is going to be. This is where the Messiah is going to come from. And they're, it's, they're talking about who this person is going to be. So then we get to... The New Testament in the Bible. This is the latter half of the book. When you flip through, you get to 
these things called the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. When you, as soon as you get to Matthew, you've hit the New Testament. And you've hit the stories that are about this one particular dude that we talk about a lot here. Anybody want to guess his name? <laughs> I heard God. That's true. But Jesus specifically, yes. Jesus. And tonight is all about him. Because we've talked about sacrifices. We've talked about needing blood for life. We've talked about all of these things that Israel continues to have to do to get right before God and to get clean, right? But they're also looking for this Savior, this Messiah. Well, this guy comes on the scene who is different than anybody else ever has been. And he's freaking people out. Like he's healing people. He's going around flipping tables over in the temple. He's going around praying for people. And they're walking when they've never walked. They're seeing when they've never seen. Crazy things are happening. He's walking on water. No one does that. He's telling storms to stop. And they listen. Try that out one day. Like, just go out when it's storming, which it hadn't rained in like five years. So maybe one day it will rain, and you can go out and say, hey, rain. Stop it. See what happens. No one was like this guy, man. He would go out and do these amazing, amazing things. And he would teach these amazing things. Like, he would say things that were really difficult and different. I mean, he would come up to you, and he would look at you, and he'd be like, hey, man, love your enemy. What? Every time I love my enemy, I'm going to punch my enemy in the face. I'm going to kick him in the shin. I'm going to play dirty. No, no, Jesus is like, no, no, no. Turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. What are you talking about? says, hey, 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 when somebody asks you to go for a mile, go ahead and go two miles. Jesus, what are you talking about, man? You're freaking us out. You're doing all these awesome things. You're telling us all these things that seem counterintuitive. It's nothing like anything we've ever seen before, right? And you look at this guy's life, and he never once messes up. Like, he doesn't do anything wrong. He never, like, cheats on anything. He never lies to anybody. He never steals anything. Dude never like talks about anybody behind anybody's back. He doesn't even put like a shady post on Instagram or or Snapchat. He doesn't do any of that. He's like squeaky clean. And so you see this guy live his life and you see him interact with people and you see him hang out with these guys, specifically these 12 guys called the disciples, where he's like, hey guys, I'm about to do some stuff that's going to blow everybody's mind, okay? I'm this guy that everybody's been waiting on. I'm this Messiah. So come with me, follow me, and you get to see all this stuff. I'm totally paraphrasing, by the way. He didn't say anything like that. But that's the basic gist of what happened. He was the Messiah. He came and he found these guys and said, follow me. For three years around about, he's going out doing all these things, saying all these things. And he gets to the end of these three years. Well, he's done nothing wrong, right? He's never messed up once. He's never even thought like a lie in his head and then not said it. Nothing. He's only helped people, right? He's only said these good things. 
about loving people, forgiving people, showing people God. These are the things he talks about. Then he gets to somewhere in his 30s, and these guys come to arrest him. Now, because he is the Messiah, he's Jesus Christ, he's not just any regular dude, which everybody who's been around him for a while, they, they're catching on. He's not a normal guy. Because he's not just a guy, he's also God. Now, if you want to try to figure that out in your head right now, go for it. But it's really hard for us to fathom because we're just people. But he was a person and he was God at the same time. How does all that work? He knows how all that works. He shows us how it works in the Bible. I can't totally fathom how it works because I am not perfect and I have messed up. So I'm, I'm pretty sure all of us are in the same boat there. So we're going to have a hard time figuring that out. But just know he was all guy, but he was also all God. So he knew everything. So he knew that he was going to do all these amazing things, never mess up, and people were going to come to arrest him. Now, usually when you get arrested, why are you being arrested? Because you did something wrong. We got geniuses in the house. Thank you. Um, You did something wrong if you're getting arrested, typically. You have broken some type of a law, a rule. You've hurt someone, you've taken something that wasn't yours, something bad has gone down for you to be arrested. Now, we just said something about Jesus that's pretty important when you mentioned that he was being arrested. What did we say about him? He's done nothing wrong, right? So if he's done nothing wrong, and you can read the Bible to make sure that I'm right about that, if he's done nothing wrong, why would he be being arrested? Great question. He's being arrested because he said he was God. Now, ordinarily, would that be a very weird thing to say? The answer is yes. (laughs) Yes. Now, if any one of you walked up to me and you said you were God, I will look at you, and then I will ask for your phone number. I will hand that phone number to a a very well-trained psychiatrist. Because something is not clicking. Because you are not God. I'm not God. None of us in this room are God, okay? So Jesus said he was God. Now, in the Jewish, in the Jewish nation, right, they took very seriously who God was, what the Bible said about who he is. And for somebody to say that they're God, the Messiah, right, was a huge deal. Huge. So if somebody were to say that, they are going to take that very seriously, and they are going to, like I just said, look at them like, you're crazy, and lock them up. So what's happening is, he is being arrested because he said he is who he actually is. They just don't believe it. So they arrest him. They send him to the ruler over the area. He's the Roman uh, facilitator of the area. He's, his name is Pontius Pilate. He's, uh, he's like a governor over the area. He's in charge. And so they send him to him because 
they aren't allowed to kill anyone. It's against their religion. So they send them to Pontius, and Pontius is now going to talk to this guy, Jesus. Because if they want me to kill, if they want him to kill somebody, they, he wants to know why. He wants to talk to them and make sure they deserve to be killed. Not just because someone said it, right? So he starts talking to him. Jesus is answering his questions. He gets done talking to him, and he can't find any reason to kill him. He's like, okay, they say that you're saying you're the son of God. What do you say to that? And Jesus just looks at him. He says, you have said it so. Then he asks him some more questions, and Jesus is just kind of quiet. He doesn't say a whole lot. And so Pontius is like, man, this this guy hasn't done anything to deserve to die. So he tells them that. Then he sends him off to another guy uh, to maybe see if he'll execute him. His name was Herod, and he was kind of over where Jesus was from. Herod talks to him for a while. Jesus just kind of stands there and looks at him and doesn't really answer his questions because Herod's kind of cuckoo. And um, so he's talking to him, and at the end of it, uh, Herod's, Herod's like, okay, he's crazy, but he doesn't need to die either. So he sends him back to Pontius Pilate. Pontius is like, man, okay, neither one of us can find any reason to kill this guy. He, they talk to the Jewish people like, hey, wh- wh- what are you talking about, man? Let's just, let's just maybe beat him up a little bit, and then we'll send him on his way, okay? That'll be good enough, right? And they're like, no, 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 no. He says he's the son of God, right? He says he's the Messiah. This isn't going to work. He's going to start a rebellion that's going to rise up and challenge Rome. And so they're like, you've got to take care of this guy. It can't be just like a slap on the wrist. This has got to be like, he's done. And so they actually get a guy who was in jail for murder to get released so that they can keep Jesus and kill him. So they, they release this murderer guy. Jesus stays locked up. They still beat him up, and then they do this thing called the Roman cross. Now, the Roman cross was a means of the death penalty back then. It was not a nice way to die. Now, is there really a nice way to die? Not really, but um, this was like a really not nice way to die. I mean, this was like one of those things, like if you've ever had played that game where it's like, would you rather... And then you say all these horrible situations, you know, drown or be burned alive or whatever. You know, it's, it's like one of those. It's like none, like none of the above. <laughs> I don't want to do any of that. Um, the, the Roman cross was like this. You would not choose this as a way to die. So let me describe it just a little bit, and then we're going to actually read the story from Luke chapter 23. The Roman cross was two big slabs of wood, like huge posts right? And what they would do is they would take a guy, and many of you have seen the pictures of this. You've seen crucifixes before. And what's, what's really odd, if you really think about it, if you're not a Christian and you look at a cross and you realize what that thing actually is, like it was a way of killing people because it's these two big beams that you would put someone on and you don't just put them on there and tie them on. Like you nail them to it. The same way you would nail pieces of wood together, you nail a human being to a piece of wood. And they would do your arms, so they're up, and then they would stack your feet together, and then they would, they would nail your feet to the, the cross as well, but they would make it to where your knees could bend just a little bit, because you get tired when you're hanging on this cross, and so your knees need to bend, 
so that when you need to try to breathe, you can push up and take a breath and then come back down. And so what you ultimately died from when you're on the cross is suffocation. You can't breathe anymore. Your legs give out. You're too exhausted. And you just run out of air. So it takes a long time to die on a cross. And so after he's beaten, they sentence him to death, and they sentence him to death on a cross. And so he's going to be nailed to these boards, and he's going to be put up for people to see. And that was the other aspect of a crucifixion is it's not just that it's long and it's painful, but it's also embarrassing. Like you have to be seen by everybody, right? Like, hey, look at this guy. He did something horrible. He did something so bad we want everybody to just see him in agony and have to go through this before they die. And so this is what Jesus is sentenced to, right? And he is saying, I am this Messiah. I am the Jesus Christ that everybody's been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years. The nation of Israel has been waiting for me. I'm here. Most of them don't recognize him for who he actually is, and they've sent him to a cross. But what's awesome about God is the cross was actually God's plan. God knew Jesus was going to have to die. Why did he know he was going to have to die? Well, you know the whole sacrifice system we've been talking about for, for you know, it seems like years, um, but for weeks, how we keep talking about blood equals life, sacrifice equals love. Jesus is the embodiment of both of those things. He's the fulfillment of everything that was needed in a sacrifice that they had been doing for hundreds of years, but he was the one that was going to meet all of that so that it never had to be done again. And so he knows he's going to have to die. In fact, before he gets arrested, he's praying and he's, he's talking with God about it. He's, I, would, I don't know if nervous is the right word, but he knows what he's going to have to do. This isn't a surprise. This isn't a shock to him. But it's also not fun. Because what he's doing in this moment when he goes and he accepts this punishment and he takes up this cross is he's taking up our sin. You remember when we talked about the lambs that, were, that would have to be sacrificed in the Old Testament? And it was ultimately to make us clean, right? It was to get rid of our sin. Their blood cleansed our blood. Well, this is what Jesus is doing, but he is, I don't know if you've ever heard Jesus called this, but he is the lamb. He's the ultimate lamb. Because he is the ultimate one who cleanses us of our sin. And so in order for us to truly be clean, he has to die. He has to give up his blood for us. And so here's the story from Luke chapter 23. And we'll pause every once in a while just to describe it a little bit. But here's, here's how it actually reads when you, when you read one of the gospels when it's talking about it. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals. Now, again, this is Jesus who's never done anything wrong. He's being crucified for one, but not only that, he's being crucified with these other guys that have actually done stuff wrong. And so if you're just looking at it, you're like, oh, well, there's three dudes that have all done some bad stuff. But when you look at who Jesus is, you're like, wait, 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 he didn't actually do anything. 
So they're crucifying him with these criminals on this place called the skull. And one of them, one of the criminals is on his right, one is on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Now, the dividing up their, the clothes by casting lots is they're giving out the stuff that he was wearing to people. And that was something that was fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy that said that they will fight for his clothes and get his clothes. So it was just another way for people to know that this is the Messiah. But Jesus is asking God to forgive them for killing him. Now, I want you to just think for a second. Like when you've been accused of doing something that you've not, you didn't do, or you got in trouble for something you didn't do, Think about the feelings you felt in those moments. And I'm just talking about like detention or being grounded or having to say I'm sorry for something you didn't actually do. Like these are very minor things, right? But I'm sure you had some very non-minor emotions. Some, like maybe you struggle with bitterness. Maybe you struggle with anger. Maybe you're ready to fight. I don't know. Jesus is sentenced to death. And he's literally on a cross. And he's done nothing. And he's asking God to forgive them. He's saying, God, forgive them. They don't get what's happening. They don't get who I am. They don't get what this is about. So just forgive them. If no one believed Jesus was who who he was yet, this has got to be something that starts to help you get it. He's asking for forgiveness for people for killing him when he did nothing. Let's keep reading. It says, The people stood watching. The rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and they mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So as he's hanging there on this cross, Jesus has got these two criminals on either side, right? And they're talking. One's just kind of making fun, throwing insults at him. The other is yelling at that guy for yelling at Jesus and then asking Jesus to remember him when he gets to heaven. And Jesus, again, on a cross, done nothing wrong, looks at this guy. He says, okay, today you'll be with me. He forgives this guy just like he just asked to forgive everybody else, like he is continuing to help people even in the midst of him dying. Let's read the last part of this. It says, It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun, the sun had stopped shining. The curtain of the temple was torn in two, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, in your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. So this is the moment where Jesus dies on this cross, right? And just before he does, it grows dark. Now imagine being somebody watching this happen, right? 
You see a guy that says he's the son of God on a cross. He's never done anything wrong. You don't know of anything he's done wrong other than people say that he's a blasphemer, which means he's taken things of the Lord in vain. He's, he's lied about things about who God is. That's the only thing you've ever heard negative about the guy. Other than that, he's been like great. Um, and so you're like, okay, he says he's the son of God. He's even asking God to forgive all of us right now. Um, and now it's getting dark. That's weird. Another verse says the ground shook in this moment. So imagine watching Jesus hanging on a cross, asking people to be forgiven, forgiving the guy right next to him who we don't know what he did exactly. He might have killed people. I don't know what he did, but he was a criminal and he was being killed and Jesus forgave him too. And then he's hanging there and he says, Father, forgive them. And then it gets dark. The, 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 the ground is like an earthquake type of moment. And I don't think they had earthquakes over there very often. So that had to be really weird. And then it says that the veil in the temple was torn. Do you guys remember us talking about the, the temple last week? We said there was a holy place, but then what's beyond that? The like most holy place, right? Do you know what separated the holy place from the most holy place? What do you think? A veil. This big drape, which was called a veil, separated the two rooms. And only one person a year could go into the most holy place, right? Because that was where, what was in that room? The presence of God, right? The glory of God. It was in this room. So only one person could go in a year. It was only the high priest. And he had to do everything just right in order to be worthy enough to go into this room, right? So in Jesus' last moment, just as he's dying, the, the clouds have covered the, the, the sky, the sun's not shining anymore, it's dark, the ground starts shaking, the veil gets torn in two. Meaning this veil, the thing that separated us from the most holy place, from being able to be in God's presence, is gone now. And now, we have a way to him. We don't need a high priest anymore. We don't need to kill the animals anymore. We don't need to have certain types of offerings anymore because Jesus just took care of all of that by giving himself up, sacrificing himself, giving up his own blood for us. All of that happened in this moment. Jesus' whole life was meant to lead up to this moment where he was going to die. It was meant to be for him to sacrifice who he was for who he wanted us to be his sons and his daughters. His goal was not to come and live this life all the way to be this old man. His goal was to come and to live this life to show us what life can be, to live it perfectly, and then to give it up for us. And so I have no idea where you're at with that. I don't know if you've ever even understood that before. Maybe it's just clicked for you for the first time that that's what that means. That's what that is. Because everything in the Old Testament is connected to this. It's meant to point us to this, this Savior, this Messiah, this Jesus. And it's Jesus who rescues us and saves us forever. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing I have to do. Because there's nothing we can do. Only Jesus can save us. Because only his blood is perfect. Only his sacrifice was good enough to make it to where me and you can now enter the holy place, right? And we can now know God. We can be in his presence. You can be in his presence at your house. You can be in his presence at your school. You can be in his presence at your bus stop. You can be in his presence right now. You can be in his presence anytime because of what Jesus did and what we just saw. It's reality for us now. 
And so this whole idea of blood equaling life and sacrifice equaling love is all embodied, it's all exemplified in who Jesus is and what he did. And so for you guys, all of us, the hope is that we would respond to that. Jesus just says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that I am Lord and you'll be saved. If you confess and believe that Jesus is who he said he was and all that, that we just saw was real and we needed it and we had to have it, Jesus says, you're saved. You can do that at any point, anywhere, anytime. So when you get to your groups tonight, talk about that. If you've done that, talk about that. If you haven't done that, then talk about that. Ask about that. Because God's desire Our desire is for all of us to come to this place where we realize we need this sacrifice. We need Jesus. And his blood is the only way for us to actually know God and be made clean and right before him.